Hi, everybody. Welcome to South Bay Community Church. It's great to have all of you here today. For those of you who are also under the tent, I know there's a bunch of people, maybe, maybe even the lobby. Welcome to the dearest place on earth, as Charles Spurgeon said about the church. And I also want to, you know, it's just great to know in, in these crazy times there's a place where you can come and maybe just experience a little bit of sanity, a little bit of tranquility and peace and and love, and that's why this is the dearest place on earth. And I also want to thank all of you who are watching online. Every week we hear about more and more people who are watching us online, and I just want to tell you that you are so dear to us. And if there's ever a time you need anything, need prayer, whatever, just please reach out to us at hello at southbaycommunitychurch.com because we don't get a chance to see you, and, but we'd like to know you're there, and we'd like to just love on you. Well, um, last week you might have remembered that we had a Shave Ice uh, fundraiser and, uh, and that was for our upcoming medical missions trip to the Philippines. And our goal was to raise $3,000 so we could buy bags of food to give away to people and flip-flops for hundreds of kids. And, and I think they were planning to give away over 1,000 flip-flops, much like this here. And I just got to tell you, you outdid yourself. Uh, the, the response was overwhelming. We were trying to raise $3,000. You ate so much shaved ice that we collected almost $8,000. And so thank you. Maybe you're still feeling full from eating all that shaved ice from last week. So, uh, but uh, we're so thankful for that. And that's going to allow us to, we're going to put Bibles in the packets now. We're probably going to give them more food and we'll be able to buy more flip-flops again because of your generosity. So thank you so much for that. You know, Cheryl and I will be leaving this Thursday. We're, our first stop after Manila is going to be going, is an island called Bohal. We'll be meeting up with Roy and Jocelyn Velasquez there. And, uh, and I'll be teaching uh, and training about 40 pastors on that island. So I'm looking forward to that. And then after we're done, we're going to head off to Manila, where we'll meet with about nine pastors that, that our church has supported over the years. We've, we've sent them funds when, when they've had typhoons and when they had a fire to deal with and, and, and a flood. And so uh, we appreciate that. I'm looking forward to meeting them. And then after I'm done there, Cheryl will head off to, back to another island, Bacolod. And she'll be meeting up with Pastor James and his wife, Darren, and Charity Maldonado, and a group of doctors and nurses. And they'll be doing the medical missions there on that island. And I'll, I'll head home so I can be back here. But uh, we certainly appreciate your prayers for that. Well, we are continuing in our series, What We Believe. We've been covering some of the core tenets of Scripture. And today we say goodbye to ecclesiology and we say hello to eschatology, and uh, which is the study of the last days of the end times. And we have covered this topic quite extensively over the years, and so we're not going to delve too deeply into it this time. However, if you want to get a blow-by-blow blow of what's of the end times, then I want to encourage you to maybe check out our series on Revelation, which we did a number of years ago. We also did a series in 2020 called The Hope of His Coming. And so if you want to look at these, you can go to our YouTube channel, SBCC Live, or you can access it directly from our uh, website. Just click the media tab and, uh, and enter those search num names, Revelation or Hope of His Coming, and those will pop up, and that will give you a lot more detail than what you're probably going to hear this time from us. But uh, today, I wanted to just give you a sense of some of the things that are going on in the world today and also enlighten you on an aspect of the last days that is rarely ever talked about in church. And so I'm excited. Um, I was moved, uh, really moved during our worship time. And again, I want to encourage you to stick around after our worship, after our service, because our worship time, not after service, but after the message, because our worship time 
again, is going to be very, very powerful. But uh, you might want to grab a pad of paper because we have a lot of things to cover and a lot of notes you might want to take and open up our app. Grab a Bible for sure. And uh, let me pray and then we'll get started. Okay. Well, Father, it is so exciting to be here because, you know, we go through the week. And again, this is just another really tough week. So many things are happening. And as I was sharing with somebody as they were walking today, there's just kind of this heaviness about the world today, the heaviness uh, with all the things that people are going through and experiencing. And so that's why it's so good to be here, the dearest place on earth. And that's why we love being here because we love worshiping you and uh, we love hearing from your word. And that's the one thing that gives us a sense of peace. And, and Lord, we, you know, we look at the, this topic of the last days and, and it can strike fear and trepidation in our hearts. But in reality, as that passage that Lauren read out of Revelation 5 or 6, man, just, just the thought that one day we'll be with you, that one day we'll be in the throne room of God worshiping you. But there isn't, it, it doesn't get any better than that. So I pray that you'd help us to keep the end in mind, that that's the end, that's where we're headed. And Father, all this other stuff, you know, it's just, some of it is just noise. But I pray, God, that uh, you would break through uh, the, the, the darkness that we feel in our hearts, the burdens that we feel in our hearts. Pray that you would break through all of that, and I pray that you would speak to us today. I pray your Holy Spirit would enlighten the eyes of our hearts and minds, and that we would come away from here, uh, from this place, with a greater uh, sense of what's going on. And God, the great hope that we have in you. So thank you, Father, and bless our time. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you know, we have been living in a a time of unprecedented turmoil and uncertainty. And if you don't believe me, I want you to consider some of the following recent headlines that that have uh, come to my attention. The first one comes from The Economist, which is a uh, British newspaper, and emblazoned on the cover of The Economist was the title of their lead story, The Coming Food Catastrophe. And The Economist wrote in part, by invading Ukraine, Vladimir Putin will destroy the lives of people far from the battlefield on a scale even he may regret. The war is battering a global food system weakened by COVID-19, climate change, and and an energy shock. Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary General, warned on May 18th, that the coming months threatened, quote, the specter of a global food shortage, unquote, that could last for years. High cost of staple foods has already raised the number of people who cannot be sure of getting enough to eat by 40, 440 million to 1.6 billion. Nearly 250 million are on the brink of famine. Political unrest will spread, will spread children will be stunted, and people will starve. That's what The Economist said. And that's about as bleak a picture as anyone could ever paint of what's going on in the world today with regards to food. I mean, we're beginning to see just glimpses of it already. A few months ago in Australia, there was a lettuce shortage, and the price of lettuce shot up to $12 a head. This prompted KFC and the land down under to put cabbage in their burgers. I didn't know they served burgers, but can you imagine eating an In-N-Out with cabbage instead of lettuce? There was also a food shortage, in the, uh, a potato shortage, rather, in the Philippines. And McDonald's in the Philippines stopped serving French fries. So maybe I won't go to the Philippines this week. <laughs> Here in our country, you know about the baby formula shortage. And obviously, there have been famines all throughout, our, all throughout human history. But I can't help but wonder, is it different this time? Could it be different this time? Speaking of the last days, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 7, 
and there will be famines. He said, there will be famines. And if you flip over to the book of Revelation in chapter six, the apostle John writes about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And one of them will come riding on a black horse and he represents famine. And the implication of, the, of this horseman is that millions upon millions of people will die during the great tribulation because of famine. Here's another headline, second headline. This is the title of an opinion piece in the Washington Times just a month ago. And it said, World War III on the brink and U.S. leadership is missing. The writer opined that we are on the cusp, but we are on the brink of World War III. In another article titled, China Urges Restraint After Russia Warns of World War III, Newsweek magazine quoted Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. He's equivalent to our Secretary of State. Here's what Lavrov said, according to Newsweek, quote, the risks are very significant for a third world war. I don't want them artificially inflated. The danger is serious, real. It cannot be underestimated. That's what the Russian foreign minister said just about a month ago. And then a few days ago, there was an article on the Fox News website titled this, China expert warns U.S. on edge of war. And it quoted Gordon Chang, who is an expert on Asian affairs, as saying that we are inching closer and closer and closer to war. And it seems like the whole world, the whole world is on edge, talking about war, about the coming World War III. And as you know, there have been wars and, and military conflicts all throughout human history, but I can't help but wonder, is it different this time? Could all this talk of war be a run-up to the end? Here's what Jesus said about war and about the war related to the last days uh, in Matthew 24, verse 6. Jesus said, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. That's us today, right? You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, verse 7. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. He said, Jesus said that in the last days, the entire world will be engulfed in war. And it will end with the mother of all wars, the battle of Armageddon. Here's another fascinating headline. This one from Forbes magazine. This one really fascinates me. It was titled, A Cashless Society is Imminent. Here's what we can expect for live events in 2022. A cashless society is imminent. And in the article, it quoted a man named Jason Thomas, who is the head of a, an organization called Tappet, which is uh, the leading expert in cashless solutions. And here's what Thomas said in the article in Forbes. He said, quote, in the years before COVID, the move to a cashless society was happening, happen, happening at an accelerated rate. Sweden, Australia, and many other countries were predicted to be cashless before the end of this decade, but the pandemic shifted that into high gear, unquote. In other words, Thomas said, before the pandemic, we were moving toward a cashless society at breakneck speak, and then COVID hit, and the move toward a cashless society went into hyperdrive. And this, this one really shocked me. He said, according to Thomas, last year, Last year, 81% of all transactions in the United States, 81% were cashless. I mean, who needs cash, right? All you need is your card and you can tap it or swipe it or insert it and you're, you're good to go. And we, this, this syncs up with what the Bible says about the monetary system that will be in place in the last days. Take a look at Revelation chapter 13, verse 16. And it says, also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. 
Now, if you stop right there, the very first part of that, it says, and it causes all. That's, that's a reference to the false prophet. The false prophet is the assistant to the Antichrist. They call him the sidekick. He's the, he works with the, the Antichrist. But it is going to be the false prophet who causes everyone, both great and small, both rich and poor, millionaires and billionaires, slave people, I mean, poor people, it doesn't matter, causes everyone to take the mark of the beast. It's going to take the mark of the beast. And without this mark, the mark of the Antichrist, you can't buy or sell anything. That's what this is saying. I mean, you will need the mark in order to buy food. You will need the mark to buy anything from Amazon. You will need the, the mark to buy latte from Starbucks. You will need the mark to re- get toiletries at Target. You will need the mark to buy dinner at King's Hawaiian. We don't know exactly what the mark is. There's been a lot of speculation about the mark, and I think it's fruitless to, to, to speculate because technology changes so quickly. But some say it could be a microchip implanted into your skin. Of course, they can do that now. Uh, just recently, South Korea developed a nanotech tattoo, developed an electric tattoo ink that placed on your skin that can be scanned. Um, and, it, and it's whatever it is, right? It is going to be through this mechanism that the Antichrist will literally control every living human being on planet Earth. That's how he's going to control everybody. And here's the worst part. By taking the mark, you will be, in essence, aligning yourself with the devil. That's what will be happening. If you take the mark, you'll be aligning yourself with the devil. Revelation 14.9 says, And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast, and that's the Antichrist, and its image, and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of, of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. In other words, God will pour out his wrath. He will pour out his wrath on anyone who receives the mark of the beast, because it will be the mark, the mark of the beast will be the mark of Satan. And what a terrible thought. God forbid if any of you miss the rapture and you find yourself living at the time when the Antichrist is in power. And if that's you, whatever you do, do not take the mark of the beast. Do not take the mark of the beast. Here's another headline. And from the Washington Post, a few months ago, the Post reported that hundreds of churches within the United Methodist denomination were leaving that denomination over the issue of LGBTQ rights and same-sex marriage. Now, this story is a is the tip of the iceberg, I believe, in terms of what's going on today with, with more and more pastors and more and more churches and campus ministries and Christian universities and organizations. And because here's what's happening. They are straying away, more and more are straying away from the truth of God's word for the sake of diversity and inclusivity. Now, I don't have a problem with diversity and inclusivity. I'm not against diversity and, and inclusivity. I want our church to be diverse because heaven is diverse, right? I want our church to look like heaven. And I want, I want everybody to come here. And I, I also want us to be inclusive, but here's what I want you to know. I don't want to be inclusive in the way that the world wants us to be inclusive. Uh, for example, inclusivity, inclusivity for me doesn't mean that we're going to call God her or we're going to call God it because if we don't, if we call God him, it's going to offend somebody. We're not going to do that. Just like we're not going to call someone who's female it because if we don't call 
her it, then someone's going to be offended by that. And inclusivity doesn't mean we're going to begin teaching that there are many ways to heaven because it will, if we don't say that, it's going to offend somebody if we say that Jesus is the only way. And inclusivity doesn't mean that we will marry uh, same-sex couples because if we don't, then we'll be labeled as intolerant or homophobic or bigoted. And the reasons, reasons our pastors, the reason our pastor won't marry same-sex couples is not because we hate them. We don't hate anybody. We love them, right? But we won't marry same-sex couples for the same reason we won't call God her and why we won't teach that he- heaven, there are many ways to heaven. It's because it doesn't line up with the scriptures. It doesn't line up with the Bible. And it is our responsibility to uphold and teach you the truth of God's word in every area, no matter what the issue is. You see, God's truth doesn't change over time and it doesn't acquiesce to culture and bend to public opinion, but that's exactly what you're seeing happening in many churches and among many pastors. You don't cast aside God's word simply because it doesn't conform to what the government says or what your friends say on social media. And I just want to say this, you know, regarding the gender issue, I just want you to know that our hearts ache. Our hearts truly ache for those who love Jesus and who struggle with their sexual identity. And our hearts ache for parents whose children are struggling with these issues. I mean, I can't even begin to imagine what it must be like for a little boy to think that he's a girl and vice versa. And, and I want you to know that if you struggle with these issues, we love you. And I, and I want so much for our church to be a safe place where you can share your struggles and where we can pray for you and we can encourage you and point you to Jesus. You know what I'd love to see? I would love to see our church start a ministry to love and support those who struggle with these issues. I would love our church to do that. And uh, the only thing that would ever keep us from doing that is a leader. If we have a leader, we can do anything, right? And if that's something that God has placed on your heart, then let us know. Because if we have a leader, we'll do that. The Washington Post headline is, is really telling. It's telling because it's a sobering reminder of where we're at today. Pastors and churches are turning their backs on the truth of God's word in droves. And here's what the Apostle Paul said about this in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. This is very sobering. Paul said, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. First, the, law, the man of lawlessness, son of destruction here, is a reference to the Antichrist, right? And if you look at the very top of that verse, it says, and let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes here. That day refers back to verse 1 in this chapter, and I'm going to show it to you, but it refers back to verse 1, and it refers to the rapture. It's about the rapture. And so what Paul was saying is that day, the rapture will not come unless the rebellion comes first. So then the question is, well, what's the rebellion? Well, the rebellion is the Greek word apostasia. It's where we get the word apostasy. And it means to depart or to defect So what Paul was saying was, before the rapture occurs, there will be a defection. There will be a defection. Christ followers defect, or they will depart from the truth of God's word. That's what he was saying. MacArthur said apostasy is the deliberate abandonment of a formally professed position, allegiance, or commitment. It is the deliberate abandonment of a formally professed position, allegiance, or commitment. Theologian Anthony Hokema said that, quote, the apostasy will occur within the ranks of the members of the visible church. And that's exactly what's happening today. 
That's exactly what's happening today is people, more and more people are, are Christ followers led by their pastors are turning away from the truth of God's word. And I know, I know this to be true that some of you have come to this church because you were at churches that were going in that direction because you told me that. Let me show you one last headline. A few days ago, NBC's Lester Holt interviewed the Attorney General of the United States, uh, Merrick Garland. And he asked him whether he thought the rise in crime and violent crime in America was a crisis. Garland didn't answer the question uh, directly. He stopped short of using the word crisis, and he, but he said that the rising crime rate was a matter of considerable concern. Quote, quote unquote, a considerable concern. And it should be, right? Because there isn't one of us who doesn't believe that crime is out of control today. I mean, what's going on is crazy. Now, I want to tell you a story about what happened at Rod Sugiyama's florist, but, but I just don't have time. But, I'm, but, but, but it's what's going on today is absolutely crazy. The other day, the New York Post reported that stores in New York City are locking down, get this, spam. They're locking down spam because it's, people are stealing it off the shelves. All those crazy Hawaiians want spam in New York City, right? And I make light of it, but it's, not, it's, it's, it's serious stuff. I mean, you probably all heard about what happened at a 7-Eleven just a few miles from here. Just the other night, hundreds of people descended on a 7-Eleven, ransacked the store, stole everything with it. And then, and then as you know, as, as Corey mentioned, we're going to be sending a team to, to Baja, California. Just I believe it's Labor Day weekend. And we're going to be going out there to build a house. But then last weekend, all, all those border towns, Tijuana, Rosarita Beach, and Sonata were rocked by violence. And so we're moving as if we're, we're still proceeding as if we're going to go. But we're also, we, we've been tapping the brakes and we've been watching the, monitoring the news and watching the advisories to see whether or not it continues. Because if it does, we're, gonna, we're not going to go. Because our priority is to keep everyone in our church safe. And we realize there are always risks when you go on mission trips. But, but, but things are getting bad out there. I mean, everywhere you look, crime is ticked up in every single category. You know what Jesus said about crime in the last days? He used the word lawlessness. In Matthew 24, 12, Jesus said, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. In other words, Jesus said that crime is just going to go right through the roof. In the last, it's going to go right through the roof because people's hearts are cold. And I just can't help but wonder, we've always had crime. There's always been lawlessness, but I just can't help but wonder and maybe you wondered the same thing as you look about and see what's going on. I wonder whether this is a prelude to the end. So these are just a few things going on in the world today with regards to famine and war and a cashless society and apostasy and lawlessness. And it begs the question, so are we living in the last days? Could we be living in the last days? What do you think? Are we living in the last days? Let me answer it for you. The answer is yes. We're living in the last days. 100% we are living in the last days. And the reason I can say that without any hesitation is because the Bible says that. The Bible says that we are living in the last days. Here it is right here, 1 John 2.18. Apostle John wrote, Children, it is the last hour. It is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. You see, the Bible didn't pull any punches, didn't mince any words. The Bible said, John said, it is the last hour. And whether you use the phrase last hour or last days or end times, it's all the, it all refers to the same thing. He said, this is the last hour. These are the last hour. These are the last days. 
So what does that mean exactly? Well, whenever the Bible talks about the last days or the last hour, it refers to a period of time that actually began right after Christ ascended into heaven. Remember Christ came 2,000 years ago? He was crucified on a cross. He was raised from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven. He, came, he went into heaven, and, and from that point on, it's always been considered the last days. And those last days extends all the way to the time when Christ will return, his second coming. Those are the last days. Let me show you this diagram that Nicole put together for me. Um, and I'm going to kind of mark it off for you here. But you see Christ's ascension here on my left, right? So Christ died, he was raised, and then he ascended into heaven, all right? And so that's, from that point on, the last days begins. And John wrote this passage that we are in the last days right about that time. And then it goes all the way to the second coming when Jesus comes to planet Earth for one final time, right? But in the front end of this, these last days, in the front end of it is the church age, right? Because right after Christ's ascension, he sent the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit came, started the church. And we're living in the church age now. We're probably, if I were to guess, we're probably kind of toward the end. What we don't know is when the church age will end, but it will end. It will come to an end when the rapture occurs, when Christ comes down from heaven to take us home, the church to take, take us home to be with him. And then when the rapture occurs, the church age will end and the tribulation period will begin. And for the time the rapture begins until the second coming, we will have exactly seven years. Seven years. We'll know, that's very clear. We'll have seven years. The last half of the tribulation, the last three and a half years, is called the Great Tribulation because that's really when all hell will break loose. So these are the last days. Includes the church age and the tribulation. All right, that's where we're in. That's where we're at. And uh, there's no doubt about it, right? We're living in the last days. And the million-dollar question, if the million-dollar question is, are we living in the last days? If that's the million-dollar question... Then the billion-dollar question is, are we living in the last days of the last days? That's the question. Are we living in the last days of the last days? Let me close with something I think you'll find absolutely fascinating. Um, I taught this about seven years ago, so it's been a while. And uh, given all that's going on in the world today, I thought I'd bring it back to your attention again. For many of you, you've come since the last seven years, so may, you may not have heard that. Not only that, most, most believers, I don't, Christ followers, don't, don't hear this because most pastors don't teach it. The only ones that I know who teach this, teach this are pastors who are Messianic Jews. In other words, Jews who became Christ followers. And, and the reason why they teach this, and they teach it, quite regularly is because they understand the Old Testament. They understand um, the Hebrew laws. So turn to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. It's the third book in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus. Now, let me set it up. The spring and the fall has always been a special time for the Jews. Spring and the fall. Very special time. Because it is when the Jews celebrate their feasts. And you go back to the Old Testament book of Leviticus, and it tells us about seven feasts that the Jews were to celebrate as a way to remember God. Four of the feasts come in the spring, and then the last three come in the, in the fall. Again, spelled out in Leviticus 23. Let me just read the first two verses for you. Verse 1 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. 
All right? So notice the word appointed feasts. Appears twice in this verse. The Hebrew word for appointed feasts is moed, and it means appointed time. So these are my appointed times, God said. In other words, God gave the Jews feasts for an appointed time, i.e. for a specific purpose. Not only that, if you look at the New Testament, the Apostle Paul said that the feasts, remember he was a Jew, the feasts were a shadow of things to come. Take a look at this. Colossians 2, verse 16. Paul said, Therefore let us let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come. The feasts are a shadow of things to come. In other words, the feasts, I'm going to give you these feasts, but I want you to know they're, they're not arbitrary, right? There's a purpose behind it. These are my appointed feasts. And the word shadow in Colossians 2, 17, these are shadow things to come. The word shadow in the Greek means outline or sketch or an image. So these feasts are an outline of things to come. They're an image of things to come. And if you look at Leviticus 20, the rest of it, it tells us what these feasts are. So let me run through them for you. And, and I'm going somewhere with this. And you're going to love it at the end. So hang with me. Picking up in verse 4. It says, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. First one, number five, verse five. In the first month on the 14th day of the month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. All right. In the first month on the 14th day of the month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. All right. The first feast that the Jews were to observe was the feast of Passover, which commemorated how God saved the Jews from bondage in Egypt. All right, notice, notice it says it is observed on the 14th day of the month, right? the month of Nisan, which is April. And the 14th of Nisan in April fell on a Friday. Remember when Moses went to Egypt to deliver the Jews from Pharaoh? Pharaoh decided, oh, I'm not going to let him go. I'm not going to let him go. And so God inflicted Egypt with 10 plagues. And the 10th and final plague was the death of all firstborn, all of the firstborn in Egypt. And on the night that that plague was supposed to, to be carried out, God told the Israelites, the Jews that were living in Egypt, to sacrifice a perfect lamb and use that blood and mark their doorposts and lintels. And when the Lord passed over their house and saw the blood of the lamb on their doorposts and lintels, he would pass over their house and the firstborn in their house wouldn't die. That's why it was called the Passover. That was the Passover. This was the first feast the Jews were to observe, the Feast of Passover, that they would remember what God did for them. And it was a reminder to them of what God did for them, but it was also a shadow of things to come. It was a shadow of what was to come. And do you know what significant event, historical event, took place on the Passover? Jesus was crucified on the Passover. Jesus wasn't cru crucified on some random day, some arbitrary day. He was, he was, it wasn't some coincidence either. He was killed on the appointed day, which is why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. He called him a Passover lamb. And thus the first feast was a shadow of Christ's crucifixion. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. It was fulfilled his crucifixion was fulfilled on the Passover. Second feast is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, spelled out in verse uh, 6 in Leviticus 23. And it says, On the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. All right? Remember the Feast of Unleavened, the feast of unleavened Bread started on the 15th, Nisan 15. So if the 14th was a Friday, 
15th would be a Saturday, so it goes, happens the very next day, lasts for seven days. And during this time, the Jews were only allowed to eat unleavened bread, which means bread without any yeast. And the reason why they were to eat bread without any yeast is because yeast symbolized sin. And so they were, this was, a, and this was also a shadow. It was a shadow of a Savior who would be sinless. No sin in Christ, like there's no yeast in bread, right? And this was a shadow, and it was fulfilled when Jesus came, and he was a perfect, unblemished lamb. Number three, the third feast was the Feast of Firstfruits. Leviticus uh, verse 9, 23 verse 9 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land, I will give you and reap its harvest. And you shall bring the sheaves of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And so the idea behind this feast was that the Jews would remember the Lord by dedicating the first fruits of their harvest to the Lord by waving it in front of him. In other words, the first crops of barley, the first crops of wheat, whatever is the first crops of corn, they were to get those sheaves and they were to wave it in front of the Lord, much like this, uh, this illustration right here. And this feast was to be observed on the 16th of Nisan, which is a Sunday, right? So remember the Passover started on a Friday, the 14th. The Feast of Unleavened Breads takes place on Saturday, the 15th, and the Feast of First Fruits takes place on the 16th on a Sunday. And you remember what significant event took place on the Feast of First Fruits? Jesus was raised. He was raised on the Feast of First Fruits. He wasn't raised on some random day. He, was, he rose on the appointed day, a feast day, on a Sunday, which explains by, why Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits. That give you chills? I mean, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, which means because he rose, we will rise as well. I mean, this is so uncanny. The fourth spring feast that God gave the Jews was the Feast of Weeks. It's found in Leviticus 23, verse 15 and 16. You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the Sabbath, seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. So according to this passage, the Feast of Weeks took place 50 days, 50 days after the Feast of Firstfruits. In other words, 50 days after Christ was raised from the dead. It was a celebration of the harvest. And the objective of the festival was to honor God for the harvest. And the Feast of Weeks is also referred to as the Feast of Pentecost. Pente means five. Pentagon is five-sided, right? Fit Pentecost because it occurred 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. Remember what happened on the Pentecost? 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Weeks, the Holy Spirit came to planet Earth. And the church was born, spelled out in Acts chapter 2. And on that day, there was the first harvest of souls. 3,000 people were saved and came to know Christ. And so this was a shadow of the coming of the Holy Spirit. So I hope you see what's going on here with these first four fruits. I hope you see what's going on here. These weren't just ordinary feasts. These were appointed times. And they were a foreshadowing of things to come. And they were prophetic. And they all pointed to Jesus Christ. And the first four fruits were all fulfilled at his coming. So after the spring feasts, 
There's a little bit of a lull. It's summer. People go on vacation, do whatever they want to do, right? And then the fall comes, and that's us, right? We're, we're ending summer, and the fall's about to be upon us. And that's when we see the fifth feast and the sixth one and the seventh one, right? The first fall feast is the Feast of Trumpets, found in verse 23 and 24. And it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. This is where it gets really interesting. The Feast of Trumpets takes place on the first day of the seventh month. The Hebrews always operated on the basis of a lunar calendar. We operate on the basis of a solar calendar, right? So their first day was not January 1st or September 1st. Their first day was whenever the new moon rose. So that was always the first day for them, all right? So um, that's the first day. And the seventh month, it says here, so it says here in verse 24, in the seventh month on the first day of the month, that's when you shall observe the Feast of Trumpets. The seventh month... In the Hebrew calendar, it was called Tishri, right? And Tishri corresponds to our September, right? So September, Tishri, first day of the, of the month, which would be the start of the new moon, right? And I'll tell you when that is in just a moment. And so today, they were able to celebrate the Feast of Trumpets. Now, today, the Jews don't refer to it as the Feast of Trumpets. They call it Rosh Hashanah. In Hebrew, it means head of the year, and it signals the start of their new year, but the feast was to be marked by the blowing of trumpets or the shofar or the ram's horn. It looked like this right here. Now, according to one group called One for Israel, by the way, they're a fantastic group, a group of Jews ministering to Jews and Arabs as well. But according to One for Israel, the shofar would be blown to warn people of the danger of war. It would be blown to call people together. It would be blown to praise God and to proclaim a king. The shofar would be blown to assemble troops for battle, to sound a battle cry. It would be blown to declare victory. It would be blown to proclaim a fast. Here's what else one for Israel said about the feast. Well, this, hold on to your hats with this one. Here's what they said. Jewish group, Christ followers, they said, quote, Just as the spring feasts of Passover, first fruits, Shavuot, or Pentecost, are all prophetically related to the death, resurrection, and ascension of Yeshua, Jesus, and the sending of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to highlight this for you. The fall feasts pertain to his second coming. Feast of trumpets relates to the last trumpet that shall sound when he comes again in glory. They said, again, they said the first four fruits connected, prophetically related to the first coming of Christ. The last three feasts are related to his second coming. Right? And if you look at the last three feasts, and just, we're looking at one of them right now, none of them have been fulfilled in any way, shape, or form. They are a shadow of things to come. And I believe one for Israel is right. It's a shadow of what is to come. And do you remember what happened? You remember what happens when Christ comes at that rapture I showed you? On that you know what happens when he comes to take the church home? It hasn't happened yet. I hope it happens soon. First Thessalonians 4, 16. Here's what Paul said. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. The shofar will be blown 
at the rapture. That's what this is saying. And so is it possible, is it possible that the Feast of Trumpets is a shadow of the rapture? And is it possible that the Feast of Trumpets could be fulfilled at the rapture? We don't know. Right? We don't know. When is the next Feast of Trumpets? It's coming up Tishri 1, Tishri September 1, the new moon. That would place it right around September 25th to 26th, depending on whether you use the Hebrew calendar or the Gregorian calendar, which is what we use. Now, I'm not saying that that's when the rapture is going to occur, right? But it's certainly intriguing to think about. Second feast, uh, second fall feast is the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, which comes 10 days after the Feast of Trumpets begins, spelled out in Leviticus uh, 23, verse 26 and 27. I'm just going to put it up here for you. I'm not going to read it to you for the sake of time. But this was the day that the Jewish high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies in the temple of God. And he would offer sacrifice for the sins of the people by sprinkling the blood of a bull on the mercy seat, which is with the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, he would have to cleanse himself because the priest himself was a sinner. So he had to cleanse himself before he would go into the Holy of Holies. And then he would place that blood to atone for the sins of the people. And like the others, the feast of Yom Kippur is a, a shadow of things to come. It is a shadow of what Christ did for us. Christ was our, our high priest, but he was a sinless high priest, not like the Jewish high priest. And he was not only a, the high priest who made the sacrifices, but he was our sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was the unblemished lamb of God. But the Jews fail to see this. Most Jews have failed to see this. But one day when Jesus returns, they will see it because they will see him. Zechariah 12, verse 10 says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look on me. This is the second coming when Christ comes in all of his glory in the clouds, and they will look on him. We will all look on him. But when the Jews look on him, it says here, in verse 10, and they will look on him, the one that they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one who mourns for an only child, grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. They will grieve when they see Jesus because they will realize what they did to him. And for the first time, they will see him for who he is, right? And so I believe this is a shadow of what is to come. It is a, it is a shadow of the second coming. Finally, the seventh and final feast is the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths also referred to as the Feast of Sukkot. Uh, it's found in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 33. And again, I'm not going to read it for you, but the Feast of Sukkot takes place 15 days, 15 days after the Feast of Trumpets, five days after the Day of Atonement. And this year, it will fall on or about October the 9th or the 10th. And it's during this feast that the Jews live in booths or tabernacles made out of branches, much like this one right here, to remind them of what God did for them when he delivered them out of Egypt. When they were wandering in the desert for 40, 40 years, they had to live in these tents or these, these, uh, these huts uh, because they were in the desert. And they, it was a reminder. They were to do this as well as a reminder of what God did for them. And as a shadow of the second coming. This one I think is very clear. It is a shadow of the second coming. And the idea is that one day God will come to tabernacle with us. He will come to live with us. They won't live in tents. We won't live in shacks. They will, God will come to live with us. Revelation 21, last verse, verse three says, and I heard a loud voice in the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be with us be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. See, God, one day, God is going to come. Jesus is going to come, 
and it'll be in the second coming and he will come to live with us. He will come to tabernacle with us. And so these are the seven feasts and they're a shadow of what is to come. First four have already been fulfilled at the first coming of Christ and I believe the last three will be fulfilled at his second coming, perhaps the rapture and the second coming. And even though we don't know when Christ will come back, I think the feasts give us a pretty good idea of the time of the year that he might come back. Now, I'm not saying he's going to come back in the fall. We don't, it's, but this certainly seems to indicate that. And we don't know which fall it will be. We don't know that. But, um, you know, it's, if God wants to, if Jesus wants to come in the winter, he can come in the winter. If he wants to come in the summer, he can come in the summer. Right? He can come anytime he wants to. He's God. Right? We don't, we're not the ones that tell him, well, you've got to come here. No. So going back to the billion-dollar question, could we be living in the last days of the last days? I think it's very possible that we may be living in the last days of the last days. I know one thing. We're closer than we've ever been. We were closer than we were 2,000 years ago. But the honest answer is, are we living in the last days of the last days? The honest answer is we don't really know for sure. Only God knows. Right? Only God knows. And that's why being a Christian is so exciting. Because we don't know, right? But we have this hope. And that's why I hope that you'll be moved by our worship today. And, and I was moved by our worship at the very beginning because one of these days we get to be in his presence and we get to be out of this craziness. And how good that is. You know, I, I'm certain of one thing. He, the Lord is coming soon. The Lord is coming soon. How soon? I don't know. So be ready. If there's anything that you want to take away from the day, it is not, oh, no, it's going to be, you know, any day. No, no, no. What the takeaway from today is, well, the Lord is coming, so i got to get ready. If there was ever a time when you ought to take God seriously, it's today. Right? It's today. I hope, he'll, I hope he didn't come for a while because there are some things I still want to do. Right? I like to be a grandpa one of these days, you know. But, uh, but if there was ever a time to get serious about God, it is today. There's ever time to get right with God so that you don't left, get left behind. If the rapture occurred at any time in the next couple of years, you don't want to get left behind. And so I want to invite you to pray with me, right? I want to invite you to pray with me. I don't want you to, I don't want you to get left behind. If you're here today and you feel like you've been kind of far away from God, or maybe you've, you've never come to faith, you've never told Jesus that you believe in him, why don't, why don't you let today be the day? so that when Christ does come or God just decides to take you home however he wants to do that before he comes you know that you'll go to heaven you know if, if you'd like to receive Christ and just tell him you believe in him because you don't want to get left behind right just say this to him dear God please forgive me my sins I believe that Jesus was your son I believe that he died on a cross for my sins and was raised from the dead. Forgive me for not walking with you. Forgive me for not taking you seriously. Today I recommit myself to you in a fresh new way to walk with you, to live for you, to take you seriously. Will you pray that prayer? May, may we all take the Lord seriously. And may we make it our mission in life to tell as many people as we can, to pray for people and tell as many people as we can that Jesus is coming so that they won't miss it when he does.
Father, thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that, that every single person here would leave, would leave with, this, with the hope of Jesus in their hearts. Lord, we, we know you're coming. We don't know when you're coming. You could come today. You could come 50 years from now. Whatever you choose, whatever you decide is okay with us. Meanwhile, you've put us here on planet Earth in these crazy times. Lord, when it seems to be getting darker and darker by the moment, I pray I can't even think of a better time for our light to shine because the darker it gets, the brighter our light will shine. So Lord, let our, let our light shine for you. And Father, help all of us to keep walking with you until you come to be with us. So Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.